uh, dealing with um, the amazing thing that, that really struck me was that they were still focused on the same things. They didn't sit there and preach a different message because they had a different building. They didn't preach a different style because uh, of anything, uh, and they didn't let anything uh, turn them aside from what they know to be uh, the important thing, which is the Word of God and the conviction that comes only from the Word of God. And it was amazing as I walked in there. Uh, this building is beautiful and it is uh, uh, miraculous what they've accomplished in just a short period of time. But they were still preaching. And when Pastor Mitchell got up there that first day and said, you know what, what I'm convicted to do right now is to do an old style tent revival in this building. Just to put you guys all in your place. We're, we're not going to do a mega church thing. We're going to do something that's going to make people feel awkward. We're going to tell them that if they're sick in their bodies, they need to come up here because God's going to heal them. And we're going to do it in front of all these people. You know there were people there that first day, and they were there to check out the building. Locals were there. I mean, that first day, there was as many people that first day as there was on Friday. I was amazed, and I know it was because the locals had showed up, the religious people had showed up. Matter of fact, the people that were there, they saw some religious mumbo-jumbo go on as we were there, didn't we? And we were able to experience, you know, uh, that religious mumbo-jumbo, but the preaching wasn't religious mumbo-jumbo, was it? Preaching was the real deal, and it was just such an encouragement. Because, you know, when you come back to a, a humble building like this, where we have a lot of work to do, and we have a lot of things to do to make us, you know, where we need to be, right? You need people who are going to preach that way. Preach to the humble. Preach to the lowly. And I hope this morning that I can really do that for us. And I'm going to read a, a bit of scripture, uh, and I'm going to talk about this in the concept that God has a desire to redeem and to restore. And that the truth is that this is a just cause because people don't change. And they don't change not because God fails, but because people are people. And they're going to make decisions. And they're going to have things happen and they're going to have to take in God. They have to take in God. You know, you don't change because I drop you off at the gym. You don't change because I drop you off at the basketball court. You don't just turn into LeBron because your dad drops you off there every day. You change because you respond. And it's crucial that we see this. Salvation is only true with repentance. And we have to have the fruit meet repentance. And so I want to make an introduction today. Hello, fruit. Amen. Meet repentance. Amen. Let's read from the Word of God. 
John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his weight. I'm sorry, Matthew 3, verse 4. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I am, not worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork, then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Let's pray. Lord, Father, God, I thank you in this place for your winnowing work. I thank you, Lord. For your conviction and I thank you for your strength and your dominion and your power. I thank you also, Lord, for your Savior that you sent to us, your Son, your only beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And I ask you, Lord, to do a work here. Take this fruit, Lord, and make it multiply. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Multiplying fruit comes from repentance. Isaiah 30, 15 says these words, For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing, and you said, No, for we will flee our horses. Therefore you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. See, some of us have this, this weird thing inside of us. We'll run faster. We'll get on something. You know, we'll, we'll go even further. But God warns us here. He says, you're not going to escape. The enemy will get on a swifter horse than you. We get locomotives to go faster. The devil gets a faster car. And over and over and over again, like a circle, it goes on and on and on. 
I actually sometimes feel bad. I, I like, you know, I, you guys know I like rap music, but I like kind of hardcore rap music, you know, and I get in the car, like I did during conference a lot, with a bunch of girls, you know. And, uh, you know, I want to play my rap music, you know, and they're sitting there, you know, they want to hear Shawn Mendes or something, you know. And I was playing a particularly rough one on, on, on the car. My wife was looking at me like, I hate when you do this. The song is called Circles, though, and it talks about real life. It talks about how frustrating it can be to be from the ghetto and, and know that this circle of violence, this circle of sin, this circle just keeps on going and going and going. But that's what he's saying here in the scripture, that it just keeps going because you won't repent. It just it won't stop until you repent. So many people I, I've seen And they struggle with this. Romans 2.4 puts it this way. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance? Are you upset because God is convicting you? Are you troubled? Because every time you go to conference, you hear the same thing. Every time you come to church. Oh, boy, I don't know if I want to be a part of the repenting church. Boy, pastor. I know it's a truth I need to understand, but it's just over and over and over. We need to know something. The realities of salvation are not resulting from just simply praying the sinner's prayer. You've been forgiven when you honestly pray. You're given a new chance. That's what you've been given. You've been given a new chance. Every time I come into a church service, you know, as a pastor, I go, well, at least I've been given another chance Amen. to preach a good message that gets people saved. I know I blew the last one, God. There were like seven or eight people needed to get saved. I didn't get any of them. Help me out. If you're here in this, don't, don't leave if you're here in this place and you need to get saved. Amen. I was stunned. But I knew exactly why they were preaching when they were preaching at the conference. They don't need a building full of religious people. They need people to get saved. They need more people to get saved. See, God deals with our hearts, but our hearts and our response, it's crucial. And if you think that I'm, you know, just saying something based on, you know, uh, wanting a bunch of warriors, I will tell you I am not immune to wanting a bunch of warriors. I want warriors. My brother can tell you, I went to the, I, that was my school. We were the warriors. I used to walk up to my brother. He was a plainsman, you know. He graduated, you know, he was old then by then, you know. I, I used to walk up, warriors, come out and play. Let's go, old man. 
It's go time. Come on. You beat me when I was 12. Can you beat me now? I want warriors. I want a mighty man, a mighty group of men. I even want some tough girls, you know what I mean? Those tough girls I'm talking about. I'm talking about those girls from sort of switchblade, like crossing switchblade type girls, you know what I mean? Those, those tough girls, you know what I mean? Got a little scar in her eye or something. You know? Oh yeah, that's when my husband hit me with a bottle. We're saved now. I don't mind having some of that. But the essence of what I'm trying to tell you is that with the prayer you're forgiven, but you need true repentance. 2 Timothy 2.25, it confirms what I'm going to preach today. It says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. What that means is, what that means today is that peradventure, that word is very interesting. It means that there's an uncertainty or doubt as to whether something is the case. That means that you need to oppose your thinking that you're just fine. You need to oppose this idea that you can just live any way you want now that you have told God you're sorry. That's worldly sorrow. There's plenty of people who are sorry. You know, I, that's why I love that game, sorry. Remember the game you were kidding, sorry? I love that game, because I used to be able to go, sorry. But I wasn't really sorry, was I? No, I was happy that they were sorry. You were sorry at that game, that's why I beat you. Right? Many people pray. Many people even know God. Yet God's not involved in their lives. One of the most terrifying things when you go to conference is when you realize, wait, God's not involved right now. But he looks really involved in all them. And the bigger the conference, the worse it is. You know? You got, you got comfortable watching a few people in the church have God involved in their lives. It made you feel good. That you were near them. But the truth is you must allow God to deal and convict and change and lead you to repentance. This text is awesome because John the Baptist is flat out awesome. I mean this guy is he's just awesome. God chose him. You know he, he chose him you know and, and he, he crafted his life in a certain way because he was the kind of man who was going to see the religious people and not be, have anything to do with them. See, they thought they had God in their lives. They thought they knew God. But their basis was just on being a descendant. Are you a descendant of your prayer? 
Are you a descendant of your sinner's breath? Or are you a repentant sinner who lives every single day waiting for Jesus to return? There's a difference, isn't there? So you can have knowledge of God. You can be linked to God. Because God makes promises. And he's never going to take them away. Ever, ever. He'll never take them away from you. Let me just clarify that. He'll never take them away from you. Those promises are forever. But John is telling us something. And he's telling them something. He's saying, you have a wrong understanding. Your concept you don't know what repentance really is. John says you need to show proof. I've tried to explain repentance to the young people. It's like the math quiz. You can know the answer because you memorize all the questions, but you have to show proof when you get to the advanced mathematics. You can't just write, oh, the answer is 12. Because you memorized it. You have to show the proof. Why is it 12? And this is how repentance works. Every tree does not bring forth fruit. And John says there's one coming. And I love how John works here and how God works because he doesn't make a wait long, does he? That's the, the hope of every pastor, that you preach a message and then you don't have to wait long. It happens. And that's how God works. And that's how they'll work in your life. I'll never forget when my dad, after seven years or six years or whatever it was, finally prayed a sinner's prayer. So proud of himself. You know? So proud of himself, you know? Came into the church. You think the church is small now. You should have been there then. I was the only one eligible for ministry. We have a crazy guy up here preaching the word of God. Crazy. My dad is stunned because this guy is the only preacher he's ever seen that could, you know, he looked like me. He looked like me. He looked like his, his stuttering, you know, goofy son up here. But this guy was full of the Holy Ghost. This guy was so full of the Holy Ghost that he just said, this was his message. Hey guys, you gotta stop letting making West do everything. He's not gonna get everybody to heaven. That was his message. I don't know how he got that. You know, I don't know where you have the, the hootspot to do that. I don't know where he got, he had the strength to do that in front of a church. Right? Imagine if I preached that message. Hey, you can't make claims do everything, guys. You better get to work. If you're a sinner, you better raise your hand right now. Because this is your opportunity to get right with God. And I don't know what it was. Because then he looked down at me and I thought, you know, he's going to preach a whole message. I mean, he's not going to just stop with that, right? But his message was, come, the day of salvation is today. He said those words, then he looked at me. And I thought, oh, he's just looking at me for effect. You know what I mean? He's one of these professional evangelists, you know what I mean? <laughs> right? Now he's going to tear me down a little bit here, you know? And then he said, uh, hey, Wes, what are you doing? And I looked and said, now? Yeah, go around and find out who wants to pray. And in the middle of service, he made me get up. You can ask my wife. He made me get up in the middle of service and walk up to people. And I walked up to my dad first. And I said, Dad, you want to pray? My dad said, yeah. 
And there were teens in there that I asked to pray, and they came up, and there was a row of 11 people. There was, there was four people in the crowd. Everybody else was actually praying. It was our biggest service in like a year. We had a bunch of visitors that day, like four. And they came up here and we all prayed. And I'll never forget it. Remember what I'm trying to emphasize here. Salvation leads to industry or salvation leads to repentance. It leads to works. And God makes himself clear. John the Baptist said these words to the Sadducees and then Jesus showed up and got baptized. That's imminent. And so what happened was he, he, he came up, he had all these people pray, and my dad, he felt really good. The only thing that he was upset about was the fact that he got asked all the questions at the end. The guy started at the wrong end to my dad, you know, because my dad knew all the answers, he said. You know, I knew all the right answers. But the irony is, the next day, my dad is, that's when my dad met repentance. Because the next day, we're driving home from church, and my dad is in an ornery mood. I don't know, maybe I didn't feed him enough, probably. But we're driving down the road, and he's driving, because he's decided that I can't drive, and I said, fine, dad, you can drive. But my dad's getting older, and his driving isn't quite as good. And he says, I gotta stop at a Dollar Tree, blah, 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 blah. I said, okay. Well, we got a family dollar right over here. That's good enough. All right. And he is about to pull into the family dollar, and he runs over the curb of the family dollar. And this is, if anyone knows my wife, you know the reaction she had, right? Do you know the reaction? It was something between, ah! and, oh my God! And my dad goes, what? And I gently said, you ran over the curb. Oh, I did not, I'm just You ran over the curb. And he pulled in, and he parked. And he started to get very upset and he got out of the car and he was very angry. And he was yelling. And he used the Lord's name in vain. Something he was accustomed to doing. I want to tell you he doesn't do it the way he used to do it. Because God met him. But he has said the name, the Lord's name in vain, and this lady in a bicycle driving by stopped her bike, looked over at him and said, he has nothing to do with it, sir. And pulled away. Now, I'll never forget my dad coming out of the family dollar and walking up to me and saying, uh, Son, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. You've given your life to this. I should have done that. You know? That's repentance. 
See, that's the spirit that God brings to us. We have things that we need to repent of because the factors that all things, these things, the factors that God is building up in our lives, they're all to bring us to this place of repentance so we can have fruit. See, God cares about the fruit that you produce. He cares about your children. He cares about your unsaved mother and father. But the only way you can stand for them, the only way you can be a warrior is by being repentant. See, weak-minded and horrible people, they don't repent. They act like they're all tough inside. They're like, I'm not going to change just because you think I should change. But they're the weaklings who stand on their own pride. They're not the true people. The true people are the ones who put their head down and go, yeah. There's something more important than what I feel, that I think. What I know. The right kind of sorrow. See, there's a misconception that people have. That they can explain moments away. But you can't explain moments away to God. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 12, verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you, and therefore many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, and watch it, though he sought it carefully with tears. I always wondered, well, you know, he didn't kill Jacob. What's the big problem with Esau? What's the big problem? And then one day I was reading my Bible and the revelation came to me. The revelation came to me. It was quite a revelation. It wasn't that Esau just sold his birthright. It wasn't that he wasn't sorry that he did. It was that moment when he became profane. See, there's a moment where Jacob comes to Esau and he says, you know what, Esau, here, listen, you need to have this. I need to give this to you. And Esau goes, no, I'm good. I got a lot of stuff. See, that's the difference. See, he should have been like, yeah, Jacob, you're right, man. I, I messed up, bro. I, I blew it. I know you're a jerk, too, but I blew it. It's about me. I blew it. But he didn't. You know, the Bible says that Paul rejoiced when people were made sorry. And I found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, it says, Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. 
For godly sorrow work repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. For behold, this self-same thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this manner. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. He didn't do it because somebody did something wrong. He didn't do it to make a person who had had something wrong done to them feel better. He did it so that they would have inside of them repentance and their eyes on God. There are so many people who walk away from the, the, the destiny of God because they got their feelings hurt. And you'll never find one of them who has godly sorrow. Because someone who has godly sorrow sees this clearly for what it is. See, godly sorrow doesn't change. Godly sorrow says, I've sinned against God. I've failed. I've refused God. That's it. The essence. I, I've allowed something. Pride, self-will, self-interest. Willful ignorance. That's when, when you just stay dumb about something. You know, I know this ain't right, but I'm just going to not look into it. <laughs> right? You know that one? Anyone know? That's one, some, that's one of people's favorites. You know? I know this ain't right, but you know. I'm just going to turn the other cheek, if you know what I mean. You're not supposed to turn the, your own cheek on yourself. Self-deception. Burger King mentality. Get in my way. How about you just go to see that Burger King and get a burger, right? And then work for God. Praise God. Truth is, there will be self-judging. You must say to yourself, it's against God. Because there's something that repentance does, and I close with this, it releases the cleansing power of the blood of Christ in your life. Luke 24 says this. Listen to this. Listen to this after they repent. The then opened he their understanding, that they may understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That's after Jesus died and he comes. And he reveals the scriptures to them. After he says, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? Why are you walking away from me? That's what he was saying. I know you guys. You were part, of, you're supposed to be part of the 
What are you doing? You know, God, he'll go wherever he has to go to build the upper room. He'll go wherever he has to go for this church to build us an upper room. Amen. He goes wherever he has to go. Jesus went, he went out of the way. These two guys are like, we're taking it off, man. This was a crappy Pentecost. This ain't going to be a good one. I can tell you that right now. Right? I thought, you know, I thought he was going to be the main presenter. They probably thought Jesus was, you know, he was going to have a big role in the Pentecost. Right? Think about it, guys. Use that knocking you got. The first part, the first step in receiving the message of Christ is, is to repent. Amen. Then you have the ability. Acts 2, verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the second baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Some of you are like, Why am I not filled with the Holy Ghost this morning? You know, I felt the Holy Spirit. I'm saved. I've been baptized even. Well, maybe, just maybe, you haven't repented of the sin of not believing in the Holy Ghost. Maybe, just maybe, you've, you've just left yourself there in a place where you're not willing to repent. And say, you know what, God, I gotta give it all to you. Yes. You know, we can learn something from Anna when she makes a big old ruckus. See, she wants something, that's why she's crying out. She's crying out. Now she ain't doing it maybe for the best motive. She's probably got some worldly sorrow in her right now. But you can cry out, God. Say, God, I need you. I close with this scripture. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And amongst all things are by the law purged with blood. For without shedding of blood is no remission. Repentance is what releases that cleansing blood in your life. Repentance is what we need to do great works in the name of Jesus. Repentance is what opens up our understanding, which will give us ability to understand the facts of our lives. That's all I have this morning. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. Fruit leading repentance. Say hello this morning. You're in this place, I want to tell you that 
the most important decision in your life is to be right with Jesus. The Bible says that people who are in sin, people who fornicate, people who lie, people who 